0: or OCD. And in fact, sometimes kids can get kind of annoyed with that when they think that that's all you see in them, that you see everything they do through the lens of anxiety or through the lens of OCD. We really don't want our kids to, to think that that's all we see in them. We really want to empower them. And we want to look at their strengths and the things that are their superpowers. So we want to learn how to be a detective in a very covert sort of way (laughs) You don't want to let them know that you're always thinking about it, but, and here's the kind of the balance, you do need to always be thinking about it on some level. Now you have to take care of yourself because I know there's many parents out there, myself included, where we get overly anxious about our children's issues and when they're gonna pop up and how bad are they gonna be and how long are they gonna last? Or we're going through a good period, how long is this gonna last? Or this is a horrible period. How long is this going to last? Or what will this look like when they're 15? What will this look like when they're 25? Right? (laughs) Do you do that? I do that too. It's not good. And I really try to stop because it doesn't help anybody. It creates anxiety in our own um, body and in our parenting and our kids can feel that. And also we're not productive because we're supposed to be the rock. We're supposed to be the anchor and we're supposed to stabilize our children even if we have to fake it till we make it and take care of ourselves in the back room, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And that can be a hard thing to do sometimes. So I totally get that. But really, we want to make an effort to try to do that. So the reason why you want to play detective is a lot of times what what is on the surface is not what is underneath. Is that even proper English? <laughs> what is under the surface? I don't know. But what you see is not what you get a lot of the time. And I'm always so surprised when I probe just because it, it almost is like innate. It's like something that it's like a reflux, a reflux. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me today? I have too many kids with stomach issues in my house. It's like a reflex. <laughs> it's a reflex, And I, I'm like almost like in my sleep. I am probing and processing. Maybe it's a therapist thing too. For you people out there, I know a lot of your moms and therapists who listen to me, you totally probably get this. It's like, you just are automatically doing these things. But for those of you that aren't, I want to teach you to do it because I would have missed a lot of stuff if I didn't play detective. Now I'm going to give you some very good concrete examples because I have a lot of stories to share with you. And I do want to let you know, and this is a total side note, but I do have conversations with my kids about me sharing their stories. And I do get permission <laughs> from them. They realize what I'm doing and they realize that I'm helping other people, other parents, other kids, and periodically I will check in with them again and say, Is it okay if I share this story? Or is it okay if I shared this story? I don't use your name. You can help other kids and other parents. And so they they do give me permission to use their stories. I just like to say that because I do use her stories a lot. And my youngest just begs me to actually be on the podcast and my YouTube channel a lot. And I try to contain that. She's been on the podcast once and she did a little kid to kid YouTube video once too. But anyway, I am gonna go into some other stories today. To give you an example, I do feel like it's really helpful when you can, you can really see what I'm talking about through stories. So when I know it's anxiety... I totally shift my parenting style and that is why it's so important. So let's get into it. I'm going to teach you through stories today. So it actually happened today, which is kind of ironic because I had already planned on talking about this topic and like another example just pops up on a daily basis. So today I took my youngest miss six. Oh my gosh. Why do I keep calling her miss six? She has been seven since October, (laughs) So Miss Seven, I'm a little tired because I just launched my community, my online community. I'm actually in the middle of the first week of opening it up. And that means I've been having very late nights because despite what anyone might believe, I have no team. I'm a one woman show. So that's really hard when you open up something new. I've had like literally probably 200 emails an hour. And I just couldn't go through them fast enough. So I've been going to bed around one in the morning and then it didn't help that um, my husband had to go away for a little while. And so I had the kids by myself. So yeah, it has not been pretty over here. And that is why I'm tired and I can't speak right today. So I took my daughter out to eat to get some lunch today. They had a half day today and I thought this will be really nice. I can go and have a half day with her. Um, I took off from my private practice because of the uh, community that I'm opening so that I could focus on these hundreds and hundreds of emails and we're sitting there and we're having like burgers and French fries. And, uh, by the way, in and out burger, they're very good with gluten-free. So we're sitting at in and out burger she's having her bunless burger and she's wearing this white shirt and her sleeves are like dipping into the ketchup and I see it every time she goes to get a French fry, she's dipping it into the ketchup. And so I said to her, just pull up your sleeves. Cause you're getting, your sleeves are getting dipped in the ketchup. And she like ignored me and she kept doing it. And then I said a little bit more annoyed, roll up your sleeves. You're getting them in the ketchup. And she didn't do it. And then I think she actually even said, no, I don't want to. And she's not an oppositional kid. And so it was kind of a weird thing. Like, why doesn't she want to roll up her sleeves? So playing detective is sometimes kind of being curious, right? What's this behavior about now? If she was a difficult kid, I might just assume she's just being difficult. This is her just being a little stinker, you know, and there are definitely kids who maybe just like to be a little stinker. (laughs) That's probably not a very endearing term. Um, And they have anxiety and OCD. And so sometimes they're just trying to be, you know, trying to push back, trying to, you know, have their independence, but that's not her personality. And even if it was, I would still want to be detective. And that's kind of where the slippery slope goes because you wouldn't necessarily probe when you should, because you might chalk it up to just being difficult because the kid's always difficult. She's not though. So I said, um, I said, what's the hardest part about rolling up your sleeves? Now, when you're playing detective, you're not calling out anxiety or OCD necessarily. You're being a covert detective. So you are in disguise. You're playing the hmm curious person, whatever that is. So you don't want to just constantly confront your child and say, is that an anxiety thing? Is that an OCD thing? Is that an anxiety thing? Because they're gonna get burnout really quickly and they are not gonna tell you a thing. So, and it's not helpful and nobody would want that. Even a grown-up wouldn't want that. So you also have to watch your tone because I could have said, um, what's the hardest part about rolling up your sleeves versus time. What's the hardest part about rolling up your sleeves. So there's no condemnation. There's no confrontation. There's no, um, like I'm not putting anything in that statement. I'm just asking, you know, just, I'm being curious. And I was surprised by her answer. And so she said, Well, it's embarrassing. Now I know she has social anxiety. Apparently all my kids are doomed and are going to have social anxiety, but we crush it early. So my 15 year old, she had bad social anxiety. We crushed it she's doing amazing right now. And even miss seven was doing pretty good, but I guess I didn't realize the depth of her social anxiety because this really threw me for a curve. Like I was like, huh, that's embarrassing. And so I said, what's, embar- what's the most embarrassing part about it? So also, again, watch your language. If I said, what's embarrassing about it? It almost seems accusatory, like I'm, I'm devaluing the fact that that might be anxiety producing for someone. Now that might sound like I'm nitpicking and it's semantics, but it really makes a difference because I've talked to kids for 18 years professionally And how I phrase things and how my tone is will make or break, whether they'll talk to me or not. So this has been tested over and over again. And so I just said, what, what's the worst part about having your sleeves up? Right. So the worst part, instead of what's so bad, right? I'm already accepting that it's bad. What's the worst part? It's semantics, but it does help. And she said, and she, and so my sleeves were already up because I was eating and I was wearing a long sleeve shirt. And she pointed to my sleeves and she said, it'll look like that, like bunched up, (laughs) like where, how else will it look? And so at that point, instead of moving into my typical parenting mode of roll up your sleeves, I already said to that's one, that's two, that's three, three strikes. You're out, you know, kind of my typical, that's how I parent when it's just purely like they're just being little stinkers. But most of the time my kids aren't most of the time it is anxiety or OCD related um, most of the time. And so my parenting completely shifted in that moment to anxiety parenting. And so we have an ongoing challenge going on currently where she is earning points towards a prize that she wanted. It was something that I really wanted to buy her, but it was like $25. And I thought, you know what? She needs 25 tickets to to get this. This will be a great way for her to do exposures and challenges. And you always want to be thinking in that way. That's how you build a lifestyle. Raising a child with anxiety or OCD is you always have, you gamify it. You always have something that they can earn or that is there for the challenge. So that when you have moments like this, you have it already set up. So it's brilliant because I already have something set up. So I said to her, you can take a challenge. If you roll up your sleeves, you can get a point. And of course she's a negotiator. And so she said, how about two points? And I said, no, actually, I think she said, no. And then I said, how about two points? Cause I really wanted her to lean into this fear. It was a great opportunity. We were in the middle of this restaurant and there were all these kids running around and I could tell she was uncomfortable. And it was just a great exposure in the moment for her to face her fears. And she said, no, how about three points? And then I said, fine. Cause I just wanted her to do it. And it, it seemed like it was worth three points for me. And so she rolled up her sleeves and it was so sad. She just like kind of buried herself and was like, her head was down and she was just shoving food in her mouth as fast as she can. And she just kept staring in the corner of her eye at these kids who weren't even looking at her. So I did, I did try to process a lot after that, as far as You know, do we even care what they think they're not looking at you, but even if they were, would it matter? Um, it did break my heart because I didn't realize the level of her social anxiety. Um, I didn't realize that it was there still in such a deep way. So that's an example today is all about just talking about how to play detective and not like how to set up challenges or, um, like how I process with her. So I'm not going to go on a tangent with that. I just want to stay on topic. I do have other episodes on how to set up challenges and things like that, but that's an example. Let me give you another example. Um, the other day she didn't want my, again, miss seven, she didn't want to go to school and it was a Monday. And a lot of our kids who are anxious, they just don't want to go to school on Monday. And so I could have easily chalked that up to, of course, she doesn't want to go to school. It's Monday. I often hear, I don't want to go to school, but periodically I throw out the, well, what's the worst part about going to school today? Now. Even if you have a child who has school refusal and just never wants to go to school, periodically throw that out. Well, what's the worst part about going to school today? Because you're going to really start to tap into what those themes are because you might get different answers each day. They might be different renditions of the same problem. You know, I'm afraid to throw up, or I saw a kid who was sick yesterday. So you might get different renditions of fear of throwing up, or you might get different things about fear of. Um, criticism or separation, whatever their theme is that creates the school refusal, but it's good to kind of get a pulse. So I said to her, totally robotic, not even thinking about it. I just said, well, what's, what's the worst part about going to school today? And she said, well, my hair, I got a haircut and everyone's going to laugh at me. Well, that's, wasn't on my radar. (laughs) I mean, we get haircuts all the time. So I completely did not think that that was a problem. Um, but apparently it was for her. So then we were able to process that and talk about it where I would have missed that opportunity if I hadn't played detective. So let me try to think of a couple more examples for you. Um, Let's do an OCD one really quick. And then I want to spend the next half of this episode just talking about language and how different ways that you can dig and play detective so that, um, you can be effective. Cause sometimes I think that that becomes really, really tricky for parents. Okay. So here's one more example. This is more of an OCD example. If I have a child, this won't be my child. This will just be, this happens often in my practice. This is a common one a lot of times parents will come in and say, oh, he's afraid of germs. You know, he has a germ thing. You know, when I'm getting the history of the child, they'll say he's got this issue and this issue, and he's a total germaphobe and he's afraid of germs and always is washing his hands. And so people believe that that's the bottom of the digging. Like the core fear obviously is contamination, OCD, and he's afraid of germs. We're done here, right? Well, even if you know your child and i was talking to someone in the at parenting community because we've already gotten started and i'm so excited about that community because all these great amazing parents have joined and it's so cool because i i'm, I'm going on a tangent i'm sorry but just for a second i cut back my practice hours so i'm only going to be working like two evenings a week and a couple of Saturdays and the rest of the time full time i'm going to be doing this community and so um, it's really nice because I don't feel as stressed in the past. I felt really stressed. Like I had to hurry up and help people online so I can go back and I have things to do for my practice. But now like my full-time job is to help people in the AT parenting community. And so it's super cool. Cause I feel like I'm already getting to know people's problems better and I'm trying to help them and link them up with providers and give them ideas of how to think about their problems. So, and it's only like day two of the community. So, if you're not in the community, go to atparentingcommunity.com and check it out because it's only going to get better. Because I am crazy about making more resources, and so I'm growing the libraries and things that are happening in there. But so I was talking to a parent about that, and I was saying that even if your child has contamination OCD, like that doesn't tell me anything, it just tells me that they're worried that things are going to get on them or in them. It's a contamination type of issue, but it doesn't tell me anything about their core fear because I can have a kid who's afraid of germs and it's because they don't want to get sick, but I can have a kid who's afraid of germs because they don't want to get other people sick. And I can have a kid who's afraid of germs because they're afraid of throwing up. And I have, I can have a person who's afraid of germs because they don't want to throw up in front of other people and look stupid. Those are four, three or four totally separate issues. So they're separate because one is a metaphobia. Another one is social anxiety. One is, um, just OCD related to germs and probably fear of death or dying or being sick. And then the last one is harm OCD, being afraid you're going to harm other people and how I would approach those clinically and how I would teach you to approach those parentally would be vastly different depending on what that core fear is. And that's why playing detective is so important. So if you had a child who was avoiding touching things and was washing their hands a lot, don't just assume and say, well, obviously, I mean, do I really need to probe on that? Aren't I like pretty much seeing the problem? Never assume, never assume. And so you might say to your child, and we're going to now move into kind of language. You might say, what's the worst part about getting germs on your hands? Right? So we're not saying germs are fine. Like what's the matter? What's the worst part about touching that? Like we're just, saying, what's the worst part about getting germs on your hands? And then you might be surprised. They might say, well, I don't want to touch the light switches. Okay. now you have to keep going down that rabbit hole. What would be the worst part about touching the light switches? Well, other people touch them. And if other people touch them, what do you think could happen? Well, they could get sick and I don't want to get other people sick. Okay, so now we're dealing with harm OCD and I have lots on harm OCD. So you can go ahead and look at a podcast. I just interviewed John Hirschfield about harm OCD a few weeks ago. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check that podcast out. But that would be very different than a kid who said, well, I don't want germs on me because what if somebody had gotten sick recently and they touched this? Well, what would be the worst part about that? Well, then I might get sick and I might throw up. What's the worst part about throwing up? Well, I might choke on my, on my vomit and I might die. Okay, so that's their core fear is death, death due to vomit, <laughs> Emetophobia via death or death via Uh But I might ask another kid, what's the worst part about having germs on your hands? They might say, well, I don't wanna get sick. What's the worst part about getting sick? Well, I'll throw up. Okay, what's the worst part about throwing up? Um, other people are gonna see me and they might not like me and I won't have any friends. Okay, well, it's social It's social anxiety via emetophobia. Emetophobia is a fancy name for fear of throwing up. So it's really social anxiety, but it's being delivered through the fear of throw up. Do you see what I mean? And that's really important because if I have three people who are afraid of throwing up for three different reasons, one, because they're worried they're gonna choke and die. And the other one is worried because they're afraid other people are gonna laugh at them and never be their friend again. Well, I'm going to approach those two kids really differently, even though they both have emetophobia. I might do some of the basic exposures around throw up the same, but then the exposures and the challenges are going to look very different because one of them is going to have to try to embarrass themselves and, you know, lose control in front of other people in a slow, systematic way to build up their exposures. And the other one isn't going to have to do that. We're going to have to deal with the concept of death and dying. So those will look really different. So you want to probe. You don't want to sound like a robot because I know in my examples, it just sounds kind of like, well, what's the worst part about this? What's the worst part about that? What's the worst part about that? Be creative, use other words. And if your child has a name for their anxiety or name for their OCD, it's nice also to sprinkle that in if they're not adverse to you talking like that. And in fact, sometimes that can really help. I remember I once had a kid had social anxiety and she wasn't going to talk about it um, because she was a very cool kid and she was very popular. And she was embarrassed by the fact that she had social anxiety because she was very social and people didn't know that she was struggling. And so it was a very internal battle and not external. And so when I would say to her, you know, what are you nervous about when you go to school in the morning? She would say, I'm not nervous because she was so used to being defended. Defended? Is that the right word? Defensive, maybe. But if I said to her, well, I know that you're okay, but what does your dictator say? Then she would open up and she would say, oh, well, my dictator says that everyone's staring at me. And it's so ridiculous because no one's looking at me, but my dictator thinks that everyone's staring at me when I walk in. Okay. So that's a way to get people to open up too. Um, And you can use that obviously for all ages is personify the anxiety or OCD and then Don't ask what they think. Like with my daughter today, I, once I realized it was social anxiety and the gig was up that like the detective was out and the detective was no longer covert because eventually once you hit an actual anxiety or OCD theme, you're not a covert detective anymore. You are, you are very overt. And so then you can move into the language of, well, do you want to crush your worry cloud? You know, and that's kind of where we went with her today. I said, do you want to crush your worry cloud? You know, we we can beat your worry cloud and train your worry cloud to know that it's okay to have your sleeves rolled up, right? That it doesn't matter what people think. So you can use that kind of language. So besides saying, what's the worst part about of, sometimes I will use language like, what's the scariest thing about, right? So if you have a kid who's afraid to flush the toilet, you might say something like, what's the scariest part about flushing the toilet? So you see like how my tone is like, almost like, in cahoots with them, like, I totally get it, but what's the scariest part for you? And you want that, you wanna partner with them and so they don't feel like you're questioning them, like, why would you be afraid of that? But that you get it, but you're trying to learn more. So let's say I had a kid who was afraid of flushing the toilet, that's a common one. I might say, I know that can be scary, what's the scariest thing about flushing? And then they might say, I don't know, it might overflow. Let's just, I'll just go and use an example. And then you might say, yeah. And so I always like try to validate it before I move forward. And then I'd say, yeah, I hate when the toilet overflows too. What's the, what's the worst part about that for you? And then they might say, well, you know, poop comes all out of the toilet. And it's so gross, and I don't want it to get on my shoes. Yeah, that would be gross. What's the worst thing that can happen if it gets on your shoes? And so I'm trying to change my language a little bit. So it doesn't sound robotic. And then they might say, well, then I might get poop on my shoes and then I might go spread it to other people and they might get sick. And now we're not even talking about a toileting issue. We're back to harm OCD, or they might say something totally different. They might say, I'm going to get germs on my, on my clothes, and then I'm going to get sick and I might die. Now we're dealing with a totally different issue. So go all the way down that rabbit hole, uh, observe your kids. So quietly observe your kids. And then when you see something that you're not quite sure about, start to play detective and just ask them, ask them inquisitive questions about why that's going on and how you can help them. And the cool thing is when you do that, you, you start to find more and more opportunities to work on their issues because you're discovering them. When you don't probe enough in a very non aggressive sort of way, (laughs) because I don't want people just go like asking their kids, like 20 million questions. You have to do this in a very conversational, gentle, slow sort of way. But when you do that, you discover all these opportunities for growth and learning, because what was going to be a very simple, quick lunch with my seven-year-old turned into a 30 minute exposure exercise on social anxiety. Like I couldn't have planned it any better. Like it was a perfect environment to do a challenge. You know, There were kids around, she was feeling embarrassed and she was gonna confront her fears. I couldn't have created that if I wanted to. So you're gonna get opportunities in the moment that are gonna be so much better than just a, an abstract planned challenge or exposure where you're creating something so that your child can face their fears. So those are the best times to learn and the best times to teach. You don't wanna miss those. So if you see your child avoiding something and you don't know why, or you see them doing something and it doesn't quite make sense, then just explore that. You always kind of want to keep your radar going, not too much where you're hyper-vigilant and you're hyper-focused on anxiety and OCD, but kind of like like a security camera. You know, it's there and it's scanning the environment, but it's not it's not noticeable. And it's it's only doing it once in a while. So you just want to be more observant than the average parent. And you want to explore more than the average parent because you're going to be surprised at sometimes what you'll discover. And when you discover those, you'll be able to give your kids the tools that you wouldn't necessarily be able to otherwise. And a lot of times I would have gone down the typical parenting road and moved into discipline when in fact it was a fear-based thing. And I completely changed my parenting style because I needed to empower them to face their fears instead of disciplining them being oppositional. So, and a lot of times it's an aha moment for me. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is an anxiety I would never have guessed. So most of the time I'm surprised by the answers that my kids give me. And I'm a child therapist. So try this at home. I hope that it helps. And if you have an aha moment, go into our private Facebook group and you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash AT parenting, anxious kids, and join us. There's over 8,000 parents in there. That is my public private Facebook group. The AT parenting community does have their own private Facebook group, which is nice and small and intimate. And I'm in there all the time. Um, but you can, you can be in the big group if you're not in the AT parenting community and you can say hashtag AT podcast and post a win. If you discovered anything through what we're talking about today, I'm going to start doing that, doing a hashtag AT podcast and listening to all your wins about anything that you learned on the podcast so that I can see if any of the stuff is sticking. And it's kind of nice to celebrate in the Facebook group, any of your wins. So if you discover something that you wouldn't have because you were playing detective and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is what she was talking about. And I would have never known go on the Facebook hashtag at podcast. And let me know, love to hear the wins. So if you're enjoying the podcast, because of the podcast, please click on a star on iTunes or stars under the name of the podcast. You just click one and that's how you can rate a show. And I appreciate the feedback. If you have a few seconds, you can leave a comment and let me know how you like the show that helps other parents know that maybe the show has some value and that they can listen to it as well. As a shout out to parents who take the time to leave feedback. I always like to end the show reading a review. So Ash R N mother of two said great resource for any parent. My son has been recently diagnosed with ADHD and definitely has anxiety. I also struggle with anxiety. Thank you for all your help. Can you address ADHD specifically and anxiety? And I do have a podcast episode on that, and I will link it in the show notes. And Emma of two wrote perfectionism, perfectionism episodes. See, I can't even say perfectionism <laughs> perfectly. This was very helpful for me as a mom of a perfectionist. The part about hanging perfect grades hit home. Focus on effort, not outcome. Thank you, Emma, and thank you, Ash RN, mother of two, for your feedback. I really appreciate it. And if you have something to write, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do, and I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.
1: When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse. And we had tried counseling and it was not going well. Natasha gave us practical tools. She wasn't like the books that we had read that were, you know, you have three kids, but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just, you know, life is great for the other two. She's helped me understand OCD on a level that no therapist. I have come across, seems to understand. Natasha had practical, real life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I to recognize the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. I had tools are I mean life-changing. She has been amazing and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way and Without her, lives would be very different we and very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy and sometimes it feels hopeless and um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son. I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope. They've given me tools and support, and I I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal, and they're some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD.
0: Hi, my name is Natasha Daniels, and I understand what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and OCD. I'm doing it every single day. And I also know what it feels like to empower them, to give them the skills and tools to help themselves, to watch them blossom, face their fears and become more than their anxiety and more than their OCD. And I want to do that for you as well. Join me in the AT Parenting community where I partner with you and walk alongside you in your journey helping you getting to know your family and your child's particular needs and particular struggles. I'll help guide you and walk you through ways to empower your own kids and see success in your house. You will finally have someone in your corner who not only has the understanding of your struggle, but has the expertise and knowledge to help get you through it. You can find out more about the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com. Or you can text all one word AT Parenting Community to 44222. Together we can do this.
1: She's really good and I hope I'll be like her. I have had OCD for over five years. I have trained my brain
0: and you can do the same thing.